is Faith Revisited. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Ben. I'm the senior pastor at Historic Trinity Church in downtown Savannah. I'm passionate about following Jesus, loving my family, enjoying all sports involving a ball, and a constant pursuit to find the perfect bottle of bourbon. And I'm Molly, a Methodist from the West Coast, but after moving to Savannah a few years ago, I found a home in Trinity and a friend of Ben's. My greatest joy in life is simply sitting on the front porch with my husband, my crazy dog, and a great bottle of red wine. On Faith Revisited, we'll talk about our own church as we're constantly trying to adapt to an ever-changing world as a downtown historic church. We'll talk about United Methodist Matters as our denomination faces an exciting and uncertain future. We'll explore church leadership in the 21st century. And we'll talk to different faith leaders about their perspectives of religion today, how we can be more authentic, stop alienating people, and how faith is more important than ever to connect us to God and each other. Hey, maybe we'll touch on a topic that speaks to exactly where you are in your faith. We won't know until we try, right? Let's do it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Faith Revisited. We want to thank you so much for being here today and listening. Good to see y'all or hear y'all, I guess, or speak to y'all. What medium is this after all? Yeah, uh, yeah no, we're so super excited about this episode and uh, looking forward to sharing with you. So we're going to talk about appointments in the Methodist Church. And Ben, why don't you explain what this process is um, for maybe any non-Methodist folks in the audience? Yeah, and, and even Methodist folks uh, probably need a refresher. So That's this true. Is that- this is that dreaded time of year where pastors often are consumed with anxiety because bishops and district superintendents who, if you're not Methodist, every, um, um, the Methodist church is broken into annual conferences. So think large regional areas and then district superintendents function as regional managers within that regional area. So a bishop is sort of the CEO of the conference, and then the district superintendents act as um, regional managers. And then together, uh, this is the time of year that they consult with the very important discussions of moving people around. In the Methodist Church, we uh, have what is known as a SENT ministry, S-E-N-T. Rather than churches calling pastors to hire them, bishops and cabinets send us um, to to churches, so they always start first of the year, and this is that. And they do that for a variety of reasons, right? Um, where they want, you know, young life, um, where they're moving people who maybe are getting closer to retiring age. Like, there's a whole host of reasons that pastors are moved around. Oh yeah, and and you know, it's it yes, um, you know, within every annual conference, you have X number of churches, and so. Right off the bat, if you think of how many pastors are retiring, that means you have at least that many number of churches that are open that you're going to have to move people into. And then, uh, you know, insider Methodist language, we call them runs. So if the church at this level um, has an opening, say, from a retirement, then they move someone into that appointment. Well, then someone has to follow that person, and then it runs on down the list, so we call them runs. 
And in every conference. Can you conference- imagine the massive whiteboard of like puzzle that must happen? At, I oh, can't yeah. even imagine what that Well, and like. in my first, my first appointment, I served for three years under a senior pastor who came off the cabinet. We call it the cabinet. Um, he was a district superintendent yes. and he told me all about, you, you carry these binders that are, I mean, uh, listeners can't hear, but I'm showing Molly on video. I mean, these things are like six, eight inches thick and they have a profile of every pastor. They have information about every church. I mean, they have all this stuff and they carry them around. And yes, it, it is, uh, you know, whether uh, conferences use whiteboards or they, they use post-it notes, but the walls become a mess because you're sorting through this big, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. You're trying to to reset a jigsaw puzzle so that every church has a pastor and every pastor has a place to serve. And Um, it's meant to be, it's a good matchmaking game. It's matchmaking. Absolutely. And every, every conference has a different strategy and different emphases. And uh, we had, for example, Bishop Carter uh, on our podcast and he is kind of an innovative Bishop. When he became a Bishop, one of the things that he said was that he was going to actually appoint young clergy first And that drew some attention because usually young clergy are at the bottom of the totem pole. And Mm -hmm. so they get appointed last. But for him, quote unquote, seniority. Exactly. Seniority. So Carter said, no, I want to break the seniority system and set our younger clergy up for their best appointments first, rather than having to burn people out or go through some bad appointments or bad matches or whatever it may be. So everybody's got different strategies and every church is unique. And it's just this big, wonderful a confusing um, puzzle. And then, then you have this interesting thing, and I know it exists in South Georgia, um, and it exists in, I'm sure, in every conference. It's called the kitchen cabinet. Okay. And the okay. kitchen cabinet is the unofficial rumor mill. So you've got oh. the cabinet cabinet that meets with the bishop and is supposed to yes. be top secret meetings. And spoiler for listeners, and if you're a district superintendent, you were a part of this kitchen cabinet probably before you were a DS. So stop acting high and mighty and self-righteous. We all love to spread gossip and rumors. Yes. And so, so-and-so got a call. Oh, such and such church really wants so-and-so and it bats around and, you know, there's different processes. So um, the kitchen cabinet is officially frowned upon in most conferences, but as I like to remind people before you were in the room, you were not in you the were room. You were a part of it. And you were probably a part of it because yeah. um, Lynn manuel Miranda had it exactly right with Hamilton. Everybody wants to be in the room where it happens. Yeah. <laughs> and so there's always this kind of thing that feeds into the dysfunction. But seriously, it, it, it is an anxious time. Um, if you get a call or a text from a district superintendent this time of year, your heart jumps a little bit yeah. because you're worried, oh, God, I'm getting a call. You know, is this, might, this yeah. might be a move. I remember yeah. two, two years ago. I got an email from who was then our bishop's assistant and it was on a Thursday and it just said, Bishop Brian will be in Savannah um, on this weekend and he wants to meet with you Saturday morning at 8 Uh, uh, a.m. There was no no reason. There was no nothing. All he wanted was to meet with me and to talk about my church and to celebrate. And he met at the church and I finally said, Bishop, I know you're a new bishop, but you've got... It's not the right time to do that. (laughs) you got to tell your assistant to kind of have some information. He must meet with you. Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of how appointments work. But the goal in mind is that every church have a pastor and every pastor have a place to serve. 
So let's do a drum roll. Are you being reappointed, Ben? As of right now, no. And there's As no of now, no. But you have had this new shift of perspective um, regarding appointments and your position at Trinity and where we're at. So why don't you explain that a little bit of why you feel like you are getting reappointed? Yeah, at first of the year, I know that sounds like melodramatic that we, you know, said, <laughs> but I'm really, as of right now, not moving. There's no plans. Yeah. My superintendent, I've talked. Now, something hinky can happen, so I can never promise that I'm not moving. And this happens every year. But no, the plan right now is for me to not physically move. But our church has grown and changed and shifted how we do ministry so much in the last three and a half to four years that it hit me in January that this feels in many ways like a, a new appointment. And um, so explain Adam Hamilton, Reverend Adam Hamilton, who we've had on the podcast, he's talked about through the life of Church of the Resurrection, he has, feel, he has felt like he had X number of reappointments during certain growth phases. So why don't you explain a little bit about that? Yeah, I, and I can't remember if it's three or four, maybe even five, but I think Adam's been there like 27, 28 years. And, and you, know, he, you know, he'll tell you that he's only been in two appointments. I think he served one very briefly and then he planted uh, Church of the Resurrection. But he said in that 27, 28, however many years, he feels like he's had, I don't remember, three, four, five different appointments. And, I, and so I remember that. And it occurred to me that in many ways, I have felt like I'm catching up or I feel behind. I don't feel, I don't feel like I've kind of got my hands on the organization the way that I did for the last three years. And it kind of hit me over the Christmas break that I was like, oh, this is kind of what Adam was talking about with feeling like you have a new appointment. It's the same people. It's the same church. It's the same house. It's all the same things. But in many ways, the way you function and operate as a leader is so different because it's a different phase of church life. So why don't you explain what this new phase in Trinity, if people love hearing behind the scenes of what's going on. So um, what's kind of some of the stuff that has like gathered the shift of perception in you? Yeah. So four years ago, we were averaging somewhere between 50 and 70 in worship every Sunday. And um, I mean, so far this year for six weeks, we've been averaging between 130 and 150. Which has been um, pretty unexpected. Yeah, honestly. especially considering I just hung up the phone with a church member who's like the sixth person still with the flu. Um, but yeah. it, there is just something going around that's just ravaging our community. But we've had great attendance this yeah. year and we didn't anticipate coming into the new year, I guess, this at this number. No, and, and last year for, for perspective, I looked back in Jan the first six Sundays of the year, I think we had between 110 and 100 and I think we had like 125 one week, but it was pretty much between 110 and 120 every week. Yeah. This year we started the year at like 143. We've gotten as high as 148. We have not been any lower than 130. But what's amazing is there are a ton of new faces. Yeah. So it's not even like these are church members who are like, oh, it's January. You got to, you know, those resolutions get back to church. This, these are new people coming in. Yeah. And, and what, I, what I've experienced, and I've, I've experienced this in, in another appointment where we were kind of growing, is you kind of go through, a call, for lack of a better term, I call them batches, batches okay. of new people. And what happens yeah. is you kind of notice that these 10, 15, 20 people they're all new around the same time. And so mm -hmm. 
I, I, I conceptualize them as batches because, you know, they all sort of start coming at the same time. They sort of all start getting involved at the same time. And you can kind of follow this group into um, assimilation and connection in the life of the church. And then once you sort of get them on the other end where they are active, they're leading, they're serving, they're giving, they're present, all this stuff. Now it's time to start back over and look for a new batch. And yeah. so it's always exciting. And, and I'll tell you, it's, I don't remember how many batches we've done, but every time you finish a batch, like the pessimist in me Ooh. says, oh, oh, that's probably the last batch to come through. And then no I'm always more. surprised and say, oh, good, here's another batch. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, it's like yeah. starting back over. So the first of this year, we, we've got a number of people that I've been in conversation with and contact with that are new and been pretty regular um, and that's driving our attendance up. I'm hoping that this flu will pass through the community, the plague that it Quickly. is. Yeah. Yeah. Because it'll be pretty exciting to see, um, once our regulars start getting back more regular, you know, sort of where we stand. But, um, so besides attendance, what's another shift that we've been experiencing? Complexity of the organization. Um, you know, for the leadership retreat in years past, and we've talked about this, I think in another podcast episode, we kind of had a whiteboard that we were able to say, okay, let's start thinking about ideas for this year. And we could kind of like start them in the room, put, you know, finish them in the room. Here's a task force in the room. Now let's go forth and do it this year, probably more than any other year. It was really like, complex. There were ideas coming in. There were ideas already working in progress. You, you know, once the momentum and the sort of machinery of the organizational vitality is moving, you, you can't go in and just hit a pause button and say, no, 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 no. Wait until our leadership retreat to start this. Like yeah. you just have to kind of let it go and just kind of keep up with it. So yeah. for example, um, our justice team in, in many churches, you call it the missions team. We, we, we emphasize this notion of justice. Um, our justice team has been six to eight people and they've met in a, in one of the committee members homes. Now this, by the way, this team started as a task force three years ago and it's just become an ongoing ministry department. Um, we just had our January meeting where we had, I think 12 or 14 people. We wow. had too many people for his kitchen table. We've now had to look at the local library and reserving a conference room there um, where we were kind of able to sort of say, you know, in, in this singular uh, meeting, here are the things we can do. It, things have gotten so big and robust and complex that we've had to kind of say, okay, we need an actual strategy for our missions ministry. We can't what a blessing. Every, right, right, right. And, and, and one blessing. of the things I would tell churches is when you hit the level of um, scalability and that's a whole nother podcast episode, but, but you know, there's this fun season of throw spaghetti against the wall, see what works, try everything. You say yes to everything. Then you get into where the organization feels more complex and you have to say, okay, hold on. We can't say yes to everything anymore. We have to be, have a a clear strategy. We have to have everyone working together. We have to have this vision that everyone's kind of moving along. So we picked three areas of focus and now we're going to create subgroups out of that. So our, Mm -hmm. our missions ministry is about to take on multiple layers. That's wonderful. And that's just an example of some other ministries. Our children's ministry, I was thinking it used to be me 
and our two children's assistants when I first hired them. Uh-huh. And every Sunday we, we, you know, had four kids, five kids, six kids, and we would meet me and the, the two, co- and there were two college girls, sweet as can be, uh, Miranda and Kayla still keep up with them. Um, they, you know, I would meet with them ahead of time and we would kind of strategize that Sunday. And that was that Well, Now we have a children's director. Now we have a children's council. Now we have a staff of uh, four or five. Now we have multiple yeah. layers that are happening. And so as an organization grows, you create layers to accommodate the growth. But as you do that, you don't function the way you've always functioned as a leader. Correct. Yeah. So I'm a type A workaholic. I'm a little bit yes, of a micromanager. The first and step is admitting it. It is. And and then yeah. the second step is leaning on a higher power, right? If we're doing the 12 yeah. steps. <laughs> and, and so I have been very mindful this year of not stepping back from involvement, but stepping back from direct influence to say. Having your hands in everything. Yeah. Yeah. To say things like. It's okay if a group surprises you and says, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, and we've already got these things in place to happen. Yeah, I yeah. shouldn't say, well, why don't, why don't I know about this? Why? No, I should say, this is awesome. This is happening without even my knowledge. Um, yeah. If people remember the Adam Hamilton episode, you know, remember he talked about, he learns in the hallway some things that his church is yeah. doing at this level that he's like, really? Ministries and cool. programs. Yes. And so I have to be okay with that, that I don't need to be directly involved with everything. I probably hold things up if I'm directly involved, because as a leader, if you're a leader listening, you carry a lot more influence into the room than you realize. And sometimes more baggage. People want mm-hmm. to please you. They want to listen to you probably too much. You know, you're, you're holding back the growth of leaders around you if you're too well, present all the time. Yes. And they can shift their perspective or ideas a lot if you come in and say something, you know, so that's a whole nother area. And this is what's different than where we were, say, two or three years ago. Um, You had to be hands on with this because you were growing it for the first time. Yeah, it was more like a startup or and I even say that it's been very much like a church plant. Only I had a a building that we got to work with and and an existing core of wonderful people. You know, so I didn't have to start fully from the ground up, but a lot of it has been ground up. But yeah, you have to be okay with not being the main voice in the room, um, letting leaders lead. Um, even with our staff, you know, that, that um, you know, we have an office administrator who's very talented and she and I would talk about our financial health as an organization probably two or three times a week. This year, like one of my resolutions in the office is I'm not even going to ask her. She'll tell me if there's something wrong but yeah. I'm not going to ask like now she does. She still tells me celebrations. Um, yes. and I've, I've told her if there's something wrong, give me notice, you know, don't surprise me, but I just don't, I do not need to spend the emotional energy on something. She is fully capable of doing better than I can do. Absolutely. That's why you brought her on. And that's, that's a big piece of leadership that you surround yourself with people who are not only talented, but you try to surround yourself with people who probably are more talented than you are. So, so what are you excited about now that you're coming into this quote unquote new appointment in the same church, you know, this new level we're reaching, what are you most excited for about that? Um, I, yeah, I'm excited about the, the permission that I give myself now to do the things that only I can do for the organization really well. 
that's yep. an Andy Stanley uh, adage, something along those lines. Like, what's the one thing you can do that nobody else on the team can do? And that needs to be your first priority. So for me, um, that's preaching. Yep. So preaching is, is it, I've given myself permission. And honestly, I have written too many sermons by the skin of my teeth that mm. I'm just lucky to get it done by Sunday. And so this year I'm like, let's let some things go. And so for six weeks running now, I have written my sermon by Wednesday before the Sunday. That's awesome. Now, for some people, they may plan ahead better. But but for me, I'm like Friday and Saturday still finishing too much. So uh-huh. like I am laser focused on that sermon and planning ahead and trying to be uh, real creative on the preaching side, because that's the one unique contribution week in and week out that I can make. I preach. Um, nobody else here preaches. Now we have retired clergy um, and wonderful lay people who could, but, but that's like, but this is the reason you're here. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of my big contributions that I can make is to give a worship experience where you feel like you have received a thoughtful, hopefully inspiring, um, maybe challenging, but, but edifying message. So yeah, and we have a great sermon series going right now. We're still in the first sermon series of the year. Um, Do you want to talk a second about that one? Yeah, and I think when it's over, we might even do a whole episode on this, but we're looking at emotionally healthy spirituality. Uh, There's a book by Pete Scazzaro that we can put in the show notes that he sort of coined that phrase, emotionally healthy spirituality, but the whole concept is Christians are notorious for saying we want to be deep people of faith, but for too many of us, we're pretty immature. And the, the, the thing that's keeping us emotionally, we're immature. And so the thing that's keeping us from that deep level of faith and spirituality is not more Bible studies or more times in worship or more busyness at the church. It's more time spent on growing in our emotional health. And so mm-hmm. we touch on some sensitive things like how do we deal with like our past, our families, you know, families are wonderful and they're a pain in the ass too. So mm-hmm. like, you know, you sift through that stuff. You talk about our need for rest and Sabbath and, and daily devotion and grief. Grief. Oh, yes, yeah, right. That was another week we, we touched on how, how we deal with grief and how we carry so much unprocessed grief in our daily lives and how it affects us. So we're really looking at this holistic picture of health to start the year. So I've really enjoyed that series. And then you and I've worked on our Lenten series. And I was just going to say, I just finished up graphics for the Lenten series, which is coming up. And it does seem that you've put this laser focus on sermons and sermon series and things that are just so relevant to everyone in the congregation. Yeah. And so this year, a big, a big focus of mine, and I'm ironing out the rest of the year, but has really been, well, and two, and I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you behind the scenes, two, two, um, focuses. One is we always try to preach relevant sermon series, but I really, really want to work hard on the creative energy that goes into a series that I feel like could connect with people, especially new people, but to also help people grow no matter where they are in their faith journey. The second focus that I've had is there's a couple of series that um, I'm really working hard to make very original series where it's something that we could, if we wanted to one day, turn it into a study that we do in our church, you know, a series that for these six weeks, we focus on this topic. And because I'll tell you, for most preachers, we we look around and and series that we do, we borrow from other ideas and we kind of adapt them for ourselves and all that. That's what a lot of preachers do. But I really want to work hard on a couple of original series that we could turn into a study 
to do later within our church. So that's a big focus this year. That's awesome. Cool. And so with, you know, we talked about re uh, appointments and how you feel like you're coming into a new one. Why don't we switch gears a little bit and talk about the leadership retreat we just came out of? Because that's a big part of why you're feeling this way is like you said earlier, there's a whole new thing that's happening so much more complex of what our plans are. It's not as simple as sending a task force to go solve a problem now. Um, what are the main points? I think we broke into three groups, four, almost four groups. Um, what are the main things that Trinity Church is going to be focusing on? So it's interesting because um, you and I have uh, off air had this discussion and, and you sort of planted a challenge in my ear that I've been chewing on for a few days now. So um, to start with like where we, where we kind of said we're going to focus, we're going to focus on um, creating intentional systems for discipleship and spiritual growth. We're going to focus on um, outreach in terms of bringing new people in. How can we connect with more people? How can we continue to focus on bringing new people into the life of the church? We're going to focus on in reach, which is how can we build community and help people grow spiritually and offer care to one another. We have more people. We need to, we, we have to be ready once they're here to offer care and development and community um, to them. And then um, we looked at a fourth element is going to be a bigger one. I don't know. We're, you know, we think out loud a lot here. Maybe this needs to be an entire episode unto itself. We're going to launch yeah. a pretty ambitious financial campaign. Our church has not, launched a large financial campaign in oh, 15 years. And we're going to attempt to, over the next couple of years, raise about a half million dollars over and yeah. above our budget to address building needs, deferred maintenance, uh, cosmetic. We have a very old building. If you We do. We do. And, and so there's maintenance issues and maintenance issues aren't very sexy, you know, to get fundraised for. So we're going to mix in some cosmetic things. A lot of our building is the exact same way it's been since it was rebuilt in the early 90s after the fire. Mm -hmm. um, so I want people to say we're going to put our mark on this building for the next 30 to 50 years, make it the welcoming space that our community says we are you know, all that stuff. And then we're going to look at, uh, we owe our endowment a certain amount of money from a previous restoration we did on our historic exterior to the sanctuary. Uh -huh. And we're about a quarter of a million dollars short of paying that off. And so kind of my moonshot for the next couple of years is, can we just erase that debt, pay that money back, and then have that endowment in a position where we can more fully live into the future? Um, and, and give this church to the to the next generation. So those are areas of focus. But it's funny because, like, for example, one big idea that came out of leadership retreat is we're going to launch a Wednesday night supper. Uh -huh. Now, for a lot of churches, you're rolling your eyes saying, well, we've been doing that forever and ours is dying. Well, I can tell you this. I've been in a church with a dying Wednesday night supper, and it's a lot more fun to be in a church that's trying to launch a Wednesday night supper. Yeah. So we're going to look at monthly and how can we have meals and volunteer cook teams and just people want to be with each other and they want to see each other yeah. in the middle of the week. It's such a neat theme to be a part of. So I'm from California and I don't know if this is not a thing in California or just not the churches I was in. I don't think we ever had a Wednesday night supper. There were opportunities to eat together because we are all Methodists and that sure. joins us all in blood. But um, I don't, I didn't recall, I never was a part of this supper idea and I love being with everyone and I want to be together with everyone as often as we can. So I am super excited for this 
new opportunity to me. Well, and Wednesday night suppers, when they function well, they act as a feeder into other things. So yes. if you're coming for small choir practice, meetings. Bible study, small groups, come eat and then you can go. So that's one of the big goals is to create this great community time that we, you know, feed into our other um our other meetings and activities that happen on Wednesday with uh, rehearsals and whatnot. So that's yeah. one example of in reach, but um, we're looking at doing a number of things around uh, the building and with various ministries. One great idea I'm excited about that kind of came out was some people really want to take our parlor and do a facelift and make it a full on true welcome center where mm-hmm. you can be welcome, have coffee and donuts like we do, but also access information about things happening, small groups to join. You know, you can just be a, a more knowledgeable about what's going on in the life of the church So, and, and make it a very functional uh, space. Yeah. And one idea that came out of it, I wasn't, I'm not sure, and you'll have to tell me, was this kind of planned ahead of time or did it just come up, the small group expo? Was that, that just a fresh idea? Okay, that's nuts because it's happening in like two weeks. So our leadership retreat was a week or two ago and they set a date like on a Sunday after church, a small group expo where everyone can, you know, have their small group on display and talk to new people and get, you know, other people in the church just knowledgeable about what the small groups are at Trinity. And I was... it seemed like it was an idea that was already planted because it just happened so fast, but it was just that group sitting there at that table that are like, this is what we need. And here's a date that we're going to do it. And it all oh, and magically, magically what happened that day is I could not have arranged those tables better um, <laughs> with who was sitting with whom. Um, I had my people who were bigger about reaching new people and had talent in that area, all like the table you were at, all yes. sitting together. I had my people who cared a lot about organizing community building and having space for people to grow and to connect with them. They were all sitting at the same table. So that idea just wonderfully bubbled up from a table full of type A's that they said, well, if we're going to have an idea, we're going to put plans and make it happen. And I said, good on you. And they literally did not say a word about that um, to me ahead of time. Interesting, because they had a date picked out. They were like, yeah. "This is when we're doing it, and here we go." So yeah, that group can get I really love done. that. Yeah, no, yeah. it was that's really fun. And so all these things, and you know, in some ways, like how 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 am I in a new new appointment, and how does it, you know, sort of coincide with this leadership retreat? Um, there are a lot of goals for the church year that seem small or unseen mm-hmm. or behind the scenes. And one of the things that I've realized is this is the year that I will have to focus a lot of my attention while all of you are doing wonderful things that everyone sees and they're a part of and they love. I will spend a lot of my emotional energy on things behind the scenes that are putting those layers of healthy culture down. Like I'm working with a couple of lay people who are experts in lead nonprofits at a new staff handbook because we're going to create a, you know, we have a great staff culture, but we're going to solidify that culture and, and codify it in a handbook, or we're going to do an organizational 360 this year where we're going to look at, you know, we've done a financial audit in the last couple of years. Now we're going to do a ministry audit. We're going to look at all the ministry departments, get surveys and feedback, and we're going to say, what are we doing well and what are we not doing very well or what could we grow in? Mm-hmm. I don't think churches, I've never been a part of a church that took a very objective look at, here's what we're doing well 
and maybe why or how we're doing that well. And here's something that needs work. Most churches don't want to do, you know, turn the lens and say, well, this isn't going very well. They don't want to admit it. Yeah. We'll let bad things just keep going on because we're afraid of hurting feelings and all this other stuff. And we're going to do a pretty, pretty robust organizational 360 this year. So those are just a couple examples of behind the scenes, like, like the average person in the pew will never know that those things happen. But my hope is those things will further solidify the culture that we're building here and that we're growing here and that people want to be a part of. One fun example is um, our children's ministry, are sm- we call them small group leaders. So they're not nursery staff, babysitters, or anything like they teach and lead children. Well, we've also emphasized more college outreach this year. So we've got a group of college kids, 10 to 12, who now we're doing these monthly luncheons and letting them get to know each other. Well, at the first one in January, couple of small group leaders who are a little older, you know, were meeting everybody and they were just mentioning, Hey, a couple of us are graduating. If you're interested in working for the church, well, guess what? One of our college freshmen the next week shows up and she'd contacted the children's director and said, I think I'd like to work for you. Wow. And he's shadowing one of the small group leaders. And what that'll do is because part of me says, well, she needs to be in worship every week. But then part of me also says she's going to also grow in her faith a lot because our children's director is also discipling these workers. Yep. So Absolutely. she will really get, and so we're creating a culture people want to be a part of mm-hmm. and maybe even yeah. work for. That's fun yeah. stuff. We're sending yeah. three people to um, our conference does certified lay ministry, CLM. Um, we're sending three people who feel called to be leaders, like upper echelon leaders in the church. And we're sending three of them. They're given like six of their Saturdays over the next couple of months for all day wow. training. But three of them are going to come back and be wonderful leaders in the life of our church. So these little seemingly small things like that doesn't seem like a big deal. Those are the behind the scenes things that hopefully perpetuate that continued growth. But you asked me on Sunday, like, what's your big goal? Like, you yeah. know, big, big goal. And I'm still working. So I, a little background. Yes. You don't have to have the answer right now, but yeah. Ben always, and we've talked about this in other episodes about goal setting and all that. Ben has a whiteboard with all his goals laid out for the year. Um, it's great. Those are his like work goals. This is, you know, how, where the church wants to be. And it has to do with, you know, a 10% growth of attendance and um, all these different things. And I, he sent me a picture of his goal list and, I read through it all and they're great goals, but none of them seemed far-fetched. Everyone just seemed like, well, when the time was right this year, it's going to happen. Or it just, none of them blew me out of the water. They're all necessary and great, but there are no stretch goals on there. So I have challenged Ben and I'm also trying to think of it as well. We're in such a great place as a church. How do we stretch those goals a little bit where maybe the type A and Ben may not cross them off at the end of the year. He may just have made progress or, you know, what are those big, big goals that we haven't set yet? Yeah. And so I'm looking at different things, um, different areas uh, from, from membership goals to, to uh, attendance goals, to financial goals with the campaign. One thing that you're part of an increased impact group that we've been doing to really look at increasing, literally increasing our impact as a church. Um, I I don't know this year, one of my big goals could be how do we begin to reimagine what, um, what membership looks like in a church and how could we be Mm -hmm. innovative with how we set up um, a culture of 
people moving from attendance to involvement to discipleship to membership, like reimagining. I just want to blow up the status quo because it's not working for churches. And traditional churches doing the same thing is yielding the same declining results. We want to do things different. And so that may be one of my big, when I articulate it better, is like, how can we be a leader in innovation for creating a pipeline for people to encounter the church, encounter God, you know, and grow in their discipleship? And then how do we redefine membership in that pipeline? Absolutely. So I do want to commend you. They are great goals. It's a great list. Our church is going to grow from it and it's very exciting. I just, I, knowing you, I just want you to look beyond that and see maybe some goals that you may not be able to cross off by December 31st, but what can we do to um, switch it up, change the status quo, you know, really get a little uncomfortable with our um, growth. You pushed me in a good way. I mean, one of the things we said, like, for example, this welcome center, I said traditional churches don't usually have welcome centers or they look really ratty um, because we weren't built with the idea of a welcome center in mind. Yeah. A, a contemporary church is newer and they, they're built when research said you need to have one. So immediately I say, I want to have the best looking uh, welcome center and the most efficient one of any traditional church in our area. Like traditional churches should come look at ours when yeah. they want ideas. So you're right. You're pushing me in a good way to, to also say, how can we be the leader in innovation? Absolutely. Perfect. Well, I think that's going to wrap up today's episode of Faith Revisited. Thank you again so much for listening. Um, If you would be so kind and leave a great review on iTunes, five stars would be appreciated. If it's anything less, just skip over that part. But we really thank you for joining us this week. Yeah, keep it to yourself. Thank you. We'll see you next time.